I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Across the Romaverse, the official podcast of Chiesa di Totti. It's episode 13, and this episode is a special Derby del Sole preview. This is Steve recording on Friday morning, uh, the day after Thanksgiving here in the States. And today I have a special guest, Joe Fischetti of the Fortinopoli pod. He runs the Fortinopoli pod. I actually joined him back in July before Roma played Napoli last time, so now he's joining us to help us break down Napoli. Um, so we can get a little different perspective of the team. He also writes for World Football Index. And Joe's here to give us his take on Napoli. So, Joe, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing all right. I'm uh, looking forward to getting back on track in Serie A. Hopefully, we, we got a, a much-needed win yesterday in the uh, Europa League. And uh, happy Thanksgiving to you. I'm up in Canada, so it's not Thanksgiving for us. But um, definitely uh, wishing you a happy Thanksgiving and all our, our American listeners. Thanks, Joe, and I appreciate you coming on. So before we get into the match, I figured, you know, with the big news breaking Wednesday of uh, Diego Maradona passing away at the age of 60 and, and him being a Napoli legend, I figured we could just talk about what his legacy is uh, to Napoli fans, Napoli supporters, the club. I know Napoli, similar to Roma, doesn't have world-class players come through the, the door every day. Uh, you know, that's why Totti and Dorossi and players like that are revered for us here in Roma. So what, what is, uh, you know, Maradona's legacy for Napoli, would you say? Uh, the short answer is that he meant everything to this club. He was and always will be a god to the people of Napoli, which is, you know, sometimes that sounds a bit odd, but, you know, much like how most Roman Catholics have a, a cross or a crucifix somewhere in their house, pretty much every house, every shop, every restaurant in Napoli has a picture of Mar- Maradona somewhere. And it's important to note too that it, it wasn't, that wasn't a title that he asked asked for that wasn't a title that he wanted in fact I don't think he liked being called a god he thought of of himself as simply as a footballer but you can appreciate why Napoli tiny people felt that way about him in the 80s there was this north-south divide even today many Italians consider Napoli kind of the dirty underbelly of Italy there was a lot of poverty in Napoli so people considered Napoli tiny people dirty they called them diseased and so on and the fact that one of the biggest stars in football wanted to play for them was unheard of and Maradona's reputation had taken a bit of a hit at the time after playing in Barcelona and everything that happened there. Um, And maybe if things went better at Barcelona, he never would have joined Napoli, but he did come. And in many ways he was made for that city. He, he himself grew up in poverty. So he was immediately relatable to the people. He had his imperfections. We all know that just like they did, 
he was a survivor just like they were, but he had a gift and he chose to share that with the people of Napoli. So they immediately thought of him as a savior. You know, 50,000 people showed up at the San Paolo to greet him before he ever kicked the ball there. Uh, when you look back at that, that classic image of him walking up the steps of the San Paolo surrounded by, by photographers and media, there does seem to be something sort of superhuman about him. Now, playing at Napoli is not easy. You, you know, the, the fans, much like at Roma, they, they put a lot of pressure on their star players. And even with that weight on his shoulders, he still delivered the two Scudetti and the UEFA Cup. And, and that just changed the way that, that people looked at Napoli forever. So that's why I say he means everything to this club. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, he's, he's just a larger-than-life presence there. I was in Naples probably about 15 years ago or so, and I remember walking down the street. And, you know, Naples is one of the, the poorer large cities in Italy. And uh, much like you would see like a Padre Pio painting on a, a wall in, in Naples, you saw a in sort of the same style, one of those, mm-hmm. you know, just like large rectangular frames of, of Maradona somewhere. I don't remember, you know, where exactly in the city, but I was walking around. And I was like, wow, this is a... Uh, you know, impressive. And that's when I was fairly new to Serie A. You know, I was just getting into Serie A back then. And there you see a picture of uh, a player like Maradona, you know, and not not a Neapolitan-born player like uh, Lorenzo Insigne or someone, someone who came to the club and really built up the reputation, like you said. So, yeah, his uh, legacy is huge in Naples and around the world. And I, I think you made a great point about how if his Barcelona tenure started out better, he probably never makes it to Naples. And, you know, it's a whole different story. So definitely a great point there. Um I saw they they gave him a big send off yesterday. No, no fans allowed in the stadium yesterday because of the coronavirus. But they literally lit uh, like flares look like around the the perimeter of the stadium. Uh, it was an impressive spectacle. So, mm-hmm. um, and I heard they even want to maybe possibly rename the stadium after him. So, um, you know, just speaks volumes to what he meant to the team. Uh, and I, I think you made a great point about the comparison between Roma fans and Napoli fans. They're you know, I kind of see our clubs and even like a, a Lazio and I'll, I'll probably get crucified for saying Lazio in the same sentence and in sort of the same light because, you know, the two Milan clubs and Juventus really, you know, they have the huge fan bases, the big money and our our clubs and Lazio and, you know, clubs like that are always like a, a tier below in terms of finances and, and reputation. And I think we're always trying to uh, build up our reputation. And it's so difficult in Italy for those kind of second level clubs to do that. Um, and then they put immense pressure on managers and players. And it, it takes a special player like a Maradona or a Totti to really, you know, thrive under that pressure, I think. So um, now moving into the modern day, let's talk about Gattuso a bit. Um, you know, he came in after um, Maurizio Sarri did great things with Napoli and then Carlo Ancelotti, who's really uh, a legend among you know, Italian managers. So how, how would you describe Gattuso's style? And then maybe we can compare him to those past managers. Yeah, I'd, I'd say historically Gattuso was a, a very defensive manager. We, we saw that. I didn't get to see him coach much before he joined Milan. So, I, but uh, from what I've read, I think that's kind of always been his, his approach, uh, taking care of the ball first, not conceding goals. Um, and then we saw that, so we saw that for a couple of years at, at Milan, and then we saw that for the half season last season at, at Napoli, playing very defensively, you know, we kind of nicknamed it Gattinaccio. Um This season, though, with the addition of Osimhen, we've seen a bit more of an offensive brand, um, playing much more of a willingness to play the long ball. It's, it's a bit of a hybrid because he he still likes to play the ball out from the back, which is sometimes a curse <laughs> it, it works well sometimes and then other times you just wish you kick the ball out but 
um, with the pace that Osaman brings and the space that he creates, we've been more uh, willing to play the long ball. And it does work, especially against teams that play a bit more open, like Atalanta. We saw that result. Um, the concern I have, though, is uh, with Osman being out for a couple of games, and even when before he got injured, teams are quickly figuring out that if they sit back, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk a bit about it when we preview the, the Roman match, but if they, they sit back, we're really struggling to, to break those lines. So uh, I'm curious to see how, how Gattuso uh, adapts to that. Yeah, and um, in terms of Gattuso, you mentioned the, the defensive mentality early on in his career, and I don't know if that's because that's the type of player he was, but do you think the reputation he gets um, from many people as being, you know, like the master motivator, but not really the best tactical manager. Do you think that's still a fair assessment? Do you think he's, he's still got a ways to grow tactically to be on that top level with a big club like Napoli, or do you think he's improving that, that manner? I think he's come a long way. He definitely still has a bit to learn. Like I said, he, he needs to figure out now as people counter what he's doing, how to counter back. Um, you know, if you, most people would definitely consider you know, like you mentioned, based on his playing style, that his ability to, to motivate is, is his best quality. But in some ways, that's also his worst quality. I mean, if we talk about tactics for a second, he last season, he played in a 4-3-3 and we defended in a 4-1-4-1, very defensive. This season, I mentioned with the addition of Osman, we switched to a 4-2-3-1, which is similar enough to the 4-3-3 that the players still get it and they can still play that system. It's not like Ancelotti switching to the 4-4-2, which is a different system and players that were not brought in to play. And, and I think that's why it didn't work so well. Like Lozano, record signing at the time, he is a winger. And, and Ancelotti was trying to make him play in a dual striker role and it just wouldn't work until the point where he ended up on the bench. Um, so I, I like the 4-2-3-1 in that it's close enough to the 4-3-3, but it, it fits the new signings better. Um, and then we still defend in a 4-4-2 that hasn't been working great. But I think that shows that, that Gattuso is evolving as a, a tactician. Um, the reason why I say his ability to motivate his, his biggest strength and possibly his biggest weakness, which you don't hear a lot of people saying, um, is because I think that's the answer that Gattuso would give. I mean, if you look at the match against Milan on the weekend and his, his post-match comments, and, and this is something he pretty much says after every poor performance. He always says that the biggest challenge with this club right now, and we saw it with the mutiny last year, is the mentality of the players. And that's, that's something that's a result of the manager's ability to motivate. If, if they're, they're not playing to win, and they're, if they're not playing with 100%, or Gattuso always says, you know, he coaches with 120%, so he expects his players to give 120%. That's, that's an issue with motivation, which, again, it's something you don't hear a lot of people say because that's what Gattuso is most known for. Yeah, and I think that's a good point because he was always a player that went at full throttle all the time, similar to De Rossi with, with Roma. They had that, tip, that same kind of mentality. And I think sometimes for players like that, it's hard to, you know, especially now that he's a manager, see other players maybe not putting in that same effort sometimes or that same drive every match because – you know, it's hard to get up every match like that and, and go full throttle for 90 minutes, you know, twice a week in some cases, especially this part of the season. And I, I could see how that could be a detriment for him sometimes as well. But 
uh, he has been getting good results, you know, so far he won the Coppa Italia last year when the, the restart happened. So, um, you know, um, we could talk more about their form in a little bit, but I think, I think you're right. I think he is starting to adapt tactically from what I've seen from them results wise. Um, so do you think the biggest difference between him and Ancelotti, we know Saudi was a whole different animal in terms of tactics and, you know, the style of football he played with a lot of possession, you know, keep the ball on the ground. And then, you know, Ancelotti came in, everybody thought Ancelotti was going to be, you know, a great fit there in Napoli, plenty of talent on the team. And then things just didn't work out. Do you think the big difference was, you know, Ancelotti's 4-4-2, like you said, do you think maybe the players just weren't playing for him? What do you you think the difference is from the time that he left and Gattuso came in? Yeah, I think the 4-4-2 definitely was one of them. Um, In some ways, it plays similarly to the 4-2-3-1 as well. They're all kind of variations of the same thing. When I mentioned that we defend in a 4-4-2 because with the 4-2-3-1, Gattuso likes his his attacking players to help defend. So that means with the 4-2-3-1, those wingers have to drop back. Mm -hmm. And that's how it ends up becoming a 4-4-2 in defense. But I think in the attacking phase, that's where the 4-4-2 didn't work uh, for those players because you had... Oh, uh, you had Insigne playing a bit deeper. You know, Gattuso's kind of revived him by putting him back as a, more of an attacking winger and giving him that ability to cut in from the from the left side onto his favorite right foot. Um, the other thing that I think is very very different is is that again back to that being a motivator. Ancelotti, for for the genius that he is as a coach, can't deny that with with his track record he's he's a very laid back personality mm-hmm. um and maybe when things are going well that's not a problem but when when things started to to not go so well and when we were struggling to find a win you needed someone that was going to go in there and and tear them up a little bit and we know Gattuso can do that i mean there's no doubt about that he does it it's it's tough love with Gattuso it's there's never any uh any grudges or animosity or anything like that i mean even before the rieka match um in the the pre-match conferences um you know there was all these talks about how gattuso apparently threatened to quit and there was a big fight with the club and people were talking about perhaps a second mutiny and koulibaly who's one of our captains came out and said we're 100 100 behind gattuso so they know that that he's going to be tough on them but it's tough love and Ancelotti just didn't have that. He kind of let it go on for a bit too long. He trusted the players to be professionals. They they weren't, and I don't put all of that on Ancelotti, but I think he wasn't as good of a fit for the club. Yeah, and I, maybe just, you know, Ancelotti was with those Milan teams and maybe just had different types of players where that style worked better. He had those professional players like the Maldinis and the Nestas and, and guys like that to, you know, just conduct themselves in the right way. And sometimes it doesn't always work. And you know, styles are are interesting because some some players like those laid back managers, just like some of us like to work for maybe more of a laid back boss. And some people need that manager or their boss at work to be a little bit more on top of them and be a little more in your face. And you know, that works with some players, doesn't work with others. And clearly, with this Napoli squad, I think the the more rah rah fired up type managers is working better with them. As we've seen, the results have been better. Um, so the last time you and I spoke was back in July uh, when Napoli beat Rome. I believe it was 2-1 on that Insigne curler to, to win the match. And, you know, Roma since then has really turned a corner. Uh, Napoli's been pretty good as well. So what would you say the, the biggest changes have been for Napoli since we last spoke, maybe in terms of p- personnel or mentality or, or anything going on that you would say would be the biggest changes since we last spoke? 
Yeah, I mean, the definitely personnel. Uh, obviously, we mentioned Victor Osman record signing, uh, 80 million euros, which then led to a change in, in formation. Um, Gattuso also was very involved in bringing Timo Ibakayoko over. He's been very, very good in the in the double pivot, which has kind of displaced uh, Diego Dem and, and um, Stanislav Lobotka. They, they were both kind of alternating time in after the restart. So now they've been both kind of relegated to the bench and, and really only playing in the Europa League. Um, so Bakayoko has been huge. He's, he's perfect for that system. And then that was important to bring him in because Alan since moved to Everton. Uh, so we needed someone with that, that grinta, that, that tenaciousness that, that Alan had and kind of lost in his, his latter time at, at Napoli because he lost the motivation as well. Uh, but definitely those players and which then changes the the system that we play. And I think the other thing that we benefit from having the four, two, three, one is it allows Dries Mertens to play in the number 10. Um, and I think that's a better position for him to score. Uh, he's lately, at least I know in the Saudi years, he scored a lot of goals playing as a false nine in the four, three, three, but he, um, he hasn't been producing as much lately. And I think he does better in the 10 spot because you have someone like Osiman that can receive the ball and lay it off for him in a good spot to shoot. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So another uh, area this summer, we were linked a lot between, uh, you know, in the transfer market with the whole Milik situation. It looked like for all intents and purposes that Milik was on his way to Rome. Jekka was on his way to Juventus, which was a little bit bittersweet for some Roma fans like myself who really value Jekka and the squad. You know, he's been a hundred goal scorer for the team and, you know, he would have been on the way out. But we always talk about Roma needing a younger striker. So it looked like we had a ready-made striker in Milik on his way over and then you know, after the medical things broke down, um, it seemed like ADL kind of blew those things up with naming rights and things like that. So can you shed some light on Milik's situation over the summer, what happened, and then maybe what's going on with him now? Yeah, so originally Milik was supposed to go to Juventus, or at least he wanted to. Apparently he had an agreement with them, uh, but they couldn't make it work between the two clubs. And you know, De Laurentiis had a pretty high price tag that he was slow to to come down on. Juventus, because of their financial situation, were trying to include players in a swap deal. Uh, but then there were also issues with naming rights for a player like Bernardeschi because he sold his naming rights. And at Napoli, the players always give up their naming rights to the club. So that's, that's created a lot of problems for us and probably something that we need to change. Um, and that's how the rumor started with, with Milik going to to Roma because then 
Jekyll got linked to Juventus to play that striker role over there. Um, and then I'm not sure why that broke down. I mean, there were, there were rumors that there was an issue with the medical. Um, Milik did his medical at a, at a different um, lab. I think it was in Austria, if I'm not mistaken. And, and then suddenly that broke down for whatever reason. Um, and then we tried to sell him. And as far as I understand, and you never know because with the media, the media is our only source of information on a lot of these things. And you never know what's true and what's not true. But it sounded like Napoli had a lot of deals lined up to try to sell Milik, uh, whether it was to an English club or to Fiorentina. And apparently he just kept on turning them down. And the club told him that, listen, you're you're not part of the future anymore. We've signed Osimhen. So, you know, we need to find a deal. And otherwise, you're not going to play. And and that was really the only leverage they had because his contract only had a year left. And knowing that with the Euros coming up in the summer, that the best chance for Milik to play in the Euros is to play somewhere and, and stay fit. And whether maybe Malik thought they were bluffing and, and still didn't budge because he was determined to play for a bigger club. I don't know, but because of that, I mean, they're on really bad terms. He's not in, they, they weren't bluffing. Malik has, has barely even trained with the club. He's most of the time he's spending at home. He's only played in the nation's league for Poland. And it seems like now he's destined to leave in January and at this point, I think Napoli will take whatever they can get. Again, De Laurentiis is still keeping the price tag high. I think he's tagged them at 20 million euros, which was around the price for that, that Roma was going to pay for him when with a full season still to play. And now we only have half a season. So we'll see what happens. I think from a Napoli standpoint, the, the relationship is damaged beyond repair. And it's now just what can we get for him? Yeah, and, and you know, he, he's going to keep that price tag as high as he possibly can. But I can't imagine they get more than five to 10 million euros at the most if there's a club that's really interested in his services and know they can lock him up on a longer term deal because you know in six months he could sign for free so if it's a club like Juventus or Tottenham who he's been long linked with who can just sign him in the summer and get by without him in the spring you know De Laurentiis might really have to just take whatever he can get like you said um, but certainly interesting to see that neither side bluff you know neither side was bluffing they both you know stuck to their guns and Milik still is getting called up for Poland because they do need him. So I guess, you know, he can still play in the Euros at this rate, but definitely an interesting situation. Um, you know, now let's talk about some players that are with the club and not players that are frozen out like Milik. So uh, let's talk about some of who you would consider Napoli's best player so far, and maybe some of their bigger disappointments on the pitch through the first eight matches. Yeah, I think two, I have three players. I, I think that would, I'd say were have been our best. Two of them we've touched on already. Victor Osimhen. He's completely changed the look of this attack. It's really unfortunate that he picked up that injury playing uh, in the African Cup of Nations. But when he's there, we look like a, a totally different team. And when he's not, we, we really struggle to score goals. Um, and I, one thing I, I'm maybe a little bit surprised about is I didn't expect him to have such an immediate impact. He ended up coming on and we played Parma in the first uh, match of the, the season. And it was a nil-nil game to the, he'd started on the bench, which wasn't a shock, but we had to bring him in because we needed to score. And I think he played about half an hour in that match. And we were a completely different team, explosives. All of a sudden there was space all over the field. Players were getting chances and, and we scored a couple goals. Um, that happened again. And he very quickly became the, the starting striker. So definitely I put Osman in there. 
I mentioned Timu Ibakayoko, perfect fit in in the double pivot of the four two three one. I'll be honest, I didn't think it was a necessary signing at the time because I quite liked them and, and Lobotka. And, you know, we spent, I think, about 24 million euros on the two of, those, two of them combined, which is a lot of money for us to have them mostly sitting on the bench. I guess it's a good problem to have when you're playing so many matches and there's the risk that players get injured or get COVID or whatnot. But he's been very, very good, very solid in that position. Um, and then the third player is Kaladu Kulibali, who's probably my favorite Napoli player. You know, he came off of a, a very tough season last year where he struggled after, you know, he joined the team late after playing again in the African Cup of Nations. And then he had some injury problems and maybe confidence issues as well after, you know, the the own goal he scored against Juventus. But he's, other than maybe this last match against Milan where he did struggle a bit, he's looked like the Koulibaly that people were willing to pay 100 million euros for. So definitely uh, Koulibaly in, in one of our best players. I, I don't know if there's any players that have been huge disappointments, but I, I think if I had to pick one, I'd say perhaps Fabian Ruiz, um, mostly because I expected more from him. And I don't know if it's because he's, this system is not that well suited for him. Um, he gives us a lot of minutes though. So you can't take that away, especially with this compressed schedule before the first uh, international break, he, or I think it was during the, um, I guess the first round, the first three matches of Europa League, he was playing every match he played. So he played every three days for six or seven matches straight. So he gives us a lot of minutes, but he's he's lacking a bit in consistency. There are times where he he dominates the midfield. We saw that in the Nations League against Germany in that uh, 6-0 win that, that Spain got. But then there are other times where he's he doesn't really contribute that much. Um, for a player his size, he's not that great in the year but we know he has it in him so i'm hoping that he can turn that around okay and then just one guy i wanted to check in on because uh, i haven't gotten to see too much napoli lately but uh how's costas manalas doing our, our old friend here in rome he's doing i think better this season gattuso's kind of managing his minutes so he only plays uh in sedia so he's he's one of our starting center backs because i think we prioritize sedia over the europa league uh, and this season, it's looked like he's had better chemistry with Koulibaly, which was one of the concerns last season. They, they didn't seem to be completely on the same page. And because of that, a lot of people were were asking or hoping, a lot of Napoli fans wanted to see Koulibaly paired with Maximovic instead of Manolas. I'm fine with, with how we have it going right now, where Koulibaly plays pretty much every match. Manolas plays in Serie A, Maximovic plays in uh, Europa League. The only thing that I'm a little bit disappointed about, but I, I think it was the the result of not being able to sell Kulibali in the summer is that we still haven't seen Amir Rahmani and now he picked up uh, an injury and COVID. Um, but I would have liked to see him get some more playing time. Maybe we'll see him uh, when he recovers in, in Coppa Italia, but I, I haven't been too disappointed with, with Manolas. Okay. Good stuff there, Joe. Thanks for uh, filling us in on the whole Napoli situation. So now we'll move uh, along to Sunday's big Derby del Sole. Um, both teams played in the Europa League yesterday. I didn't get to catch the Roma match because of the, the holiday here in the States. Uh, I heard it was a rather dull performance from Roma, but that was to be expected with, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of players out, a lot of rotation. They were playing inclusion, some pretty uh, frigid temperatures in Romania. They pulled out a 2 nothing win on an own goal and then a Jordan Vertu penalty. Uh, Napoli also won 2-0 against Reg- Rejeka, I believe is how you pronounce the team. 
um, at the Sao Paulo. They played at home yesterday, correct? Yep. Yeah. Um, and then just overall, both both teams doing well in the Europa League. Um, I have Roma secured qualification yesterday. Uh, Napoli also has pretty much been uh, pretty flawless in the Europa League so far, right? Not quite. Um, it's it's been an interesting group. We we actually lost our opening match to Alkmaar. Ah, uh, that's right. Yes. Which um, and and they had a lot of uh, players missing with COVID, so that set us behind. It, it, we haven't been that great. It, the funny thing is, the best team in in our group, Real Sociedad, who's I believe still top of the table in La Liga, we beat them with our most defensive squad that we've played all season, and that was kind of just dictated by the the volume of games that we had at the time and, and players needing to rest. Um, so since that, that loss to Alkmaar, we've won all three, three games, the, the two games against Rijeka. Um, the first one, both games kind of played similarly where we looked a little bit vulnerable in the first half an hour, uh, especially on the counterattack because of the pace that they have. And in, in the first match against Rijeka, they actually scored in uh, the match this week. They didn't. And then as the match wore on and as we started to bring on some substitute players, that's where our depth was just too much for them to handle. And we ended up getting wins in both of those matches. Yeah, it's, it's a tough balancing act because, you know, teams don't value the Europa League like uh, the Champions League. So I, I know Roma's been doing having a lot of turnover in their matches, playing a lot of reserves, and it's worked out okay for them. But their group definitely is not as strong as Napoli's with Real Sociedad and Alkmaar, you know, our toughest opponents, Cluj and Young Boys. Yeah. So Roma can afford to do that a little bit more. Um, yeah, and I actually, I did happen to catch the Roma match yesterday. It, it was similar in the sense that as Roma started to bring on some of their regular starters, it kind of changed a little bit. Vertu came on at the half and, and made an impact. Jacko came on. Um, and But it was, I mean, it's one of those matches where it was kind of dull. It wasn't too different, I would say, than um, Roma's match on the weekend, except maybe reverse the, the halves were on, on the weekend, you know, Roma came out flying in the first half and then just kind of relaxed in the second half and they probably could have scored more goals. But um, in this match, they, it was a very slow, neither side had many chances in the first half, I think maybe one chance each. And then Roma got their, their couple of goals in the second half. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of the five sub rule this year for teams like Roma and Napoli who might play these smaller clubs in like a Europa league. And you can just bring on your regulars. If your you know, reserves aren't really getting it done and, Fonseca has done a nice job. He managed the minute yesterday. He started Pellegrini, split it with Vertu, so they're both fresh for Sunday. You know, Jekko's back from COVID. He gets 30 minutes or so, and and those kind of yeah. things just change the game. Mkhitaryan came on late, and uh, that that definitely helps. In Serie A, Roma is currently sitting third in the table on uh, 17 points, uh, five wins, two draws, and one loss. Of course, that loss was not actually on the pitch. That was a whole DOR situation. Napoli is five wins, three losses on 14 points. Again, one of their losses also was a administrative loss where they actually got the loss against Juventus with that whole COVID situation that had the point uh, taken away on top of that. So it was really like a four point swing in the table for them. So really disappointing in that regard, because I remember when, you know, that match was coming up, Juve was really struggling. And I thought that was a perfect opportunity for Napoli to really uh, add to their misery a bit. So it's a bit disappointing the way that played out. Um, but overall, you know, both teams off to fairly good starts, but Napoli has been a little bit weaker of late with, uh, one win and two losses in their last three. They lost to Sassuolo a few weeks ago, two nil, uh, coming off a loss to Milan this past week. Um, so what, what's been the big difference with them the past couple matches that, you know, they've been struggling a little bit, do you think in Serie A after that three, one loss to Milan on, on Sunday? Well, I think that goes back to 
what we mentioned earlier about teams starting to to figure us out and and perhaps being a little bit too predictable. Um, in the the Sassuolo match, it it wasn't our again. You know, we're we're struggling to create chances. I mean, that one I just kind of said, look, we we had an off day. That's going to happen over the course of a thirty eight game season. Plus, when you factor in all these other matches that we're playing, the Milan match was a bit different. Where I, I thought a lot of Napoli fans were probably harsh on on our team. Um, and I think Milan had had a, an excellent game plan and they executed it very well. And, and they have a difference maker in Ibrahimovic. But what we saw with what Milan, which is the thing that kind of concerns me right now, is after they got their goal, they just went into shutdown mode and they, they didn't really push much. Most of their chances came in that first 20 minute period where, where they were um, kind of, they were the better team in the, definitely in that first 20 minutes. A lot of that though was because Napoli were forcing their passes and, and turning the ball over quite a bit. But after that, from the 20 minute mark on, from that goal onward, we were in full control, but we didn't create much. And Milan just kind of sat back and waited for their opportunity to pounce. And when they did get those opportunities, they they finished them. So yeah, that's... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say because, and that that speaks, the numbers speak to what you were saying because possession by the end of the match was 63-37 to Napoli. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Milan really played it where, you know, they got the goal, they kind of sat back, let Napoli control possession. But if you're not creating good chances, uh, it becomes difficult to score and come back against a team like that. Um, You know, and Ibrahimovic is Ibrahimovic. We saw the goal he scored to open the match against Roma from a Roma perspective. And, you know, he's just a difference maker. And when he finds his chances, you know, they're tough to beat. Um, but moving into Sunday after that match, Bakayoko picked up a big red card. Um, so he's one of the key absences for uh, Napoli and then Roma, or rather before we even get to Roma, what's the status on Osiman? Is he definitely out? Is he possibly playing on Sunday? I, I highly doubt it. I mean, he's been still training, not fully with the club. He, he wasn't in the squad uh, in the Europa League match. So I don't think he's going to play. I think at best, maybe he'll be available on the bench, but I think even that's doubtful. So I'm not expecting Osman to be there. You mentioned Bakayoko on the red card. And then uh, LC Kusai um, has COVID, so he won't be in the squad either. And that's why we played uh, Gulam at left back in the Europa League, I think just to give Mario Rui a bit of a rest. Mm. Yeah, and then from a Roma perspective, we're sweating out the fitness of actually our three starting center backs in the three four two one. Uh, Mancini, Smalling, and Ibanez all missed uh, the match yesterday. Um, Mancini played the whole game on Sunday, but he has a minor uh, little muscle strain. Ibanez left at halftime. He has a minor little muscle strain. And then Smalling's come off a little minor knee knock. All three are currently projected to suit up by Gazetta. Uh, I know they did train some individuals, some as a group today. Um, and we'll find out tomorrow if all three of them will play or if one or two of them will play. It'll be interesting to see because uh, the defense has really been a strength for Roma, and with Max Kambula still out with COVID, you know, that then brings into play players like Fazio, who, who just recently returned from COVID, possibly Juan Jesus, possibly Cristante again in the back three. So that those will be the, the players to watch for Roma from a, an injury standpoint to see really how they can line up. Um, heading into this match, talking about the possibility of Osiman being out, the possibility of Bakayoko is definitely out. What do you think the keys are for Napoli in this match? I think the first one is we need to score first. Uh, I'm very worried about conceding a goal, uh, conceding the first goal because of that that mentality and and clubs knowing that they can sit back and defend. 
So I, I think first and foremost, we need to, to get the first goal. Um, the other key for us is to be able to defend the counterattack better. That's That's been an issue since last season. That's how Milan scored uh, their goals on, on Sunday. So we need to be able to defend the counter. And, and the third one is we need to figure out a way to break the lines. Um, if, if Roma sits back, we need to be able to, to get into spaces in between the lines, which then uh, allows you to set up goal scoring opportunities, which have been few and far between for us lately. So I think that's where Piotr Zielinski is going to play a key role. Hopefully um, he played in the number 10 spot against Rijeka, which is very interesting uh, that now that gave Mertens a, a bit of a break. I, I'm curious to see, I haven't quite figured out who we're going to start. I, what I would like to see is to have still play the four, two, three, one, but play Zielinski instead of Mertens in the 10 spot, play Mertens as the striker, even though I prefer Patania there, he wasn't that impressive against the Europa league. So you know, play Zielinski behind Mertens. Hopefully that creates a few more chances and then Insigne on the left and Politano on the right. Yeah. Um, I, I think you made mentioned something huge, which is the counterattack. One of Roma's biggest uh, strengths this year yeah. has been attacking on the counterattack with players like Mkhitaryan and Pedro uh, really playing well. Uh, you know, Dzeko's key in those build-up plays too. He, he's missed the past couple with COVID, but uh, Mkhitaryan's been unbelievable. And if Roma does decide to defend a little bit on the road, uh, and Napoli can't break them down, then Roma can be very dangerous on the counterattack. We've seen that already this year. Um, you know, I'm curious to see, I mentioned the center back situation. I think that will determine a lot in terms of how Roma plays. I mean, Ibanez and Mancini are both very aggressive center backs when they, they play the left and right side of that back three um, to try to take away those spaces uh, to Napoli's, you know, more pacey players like the Mertens, the, like the Insignias and the Lanzanos. You know, Ibanez and Mancini can run for the most part with those players, which is, you know, a big thing for them. But if they miss out and, you know, you're playing players like Fazio and Juan Jesus on those those two sides of the back three, I think it plays more into Napoli's hands with those those pacier players up front. Um, I think another big matchup is Dzeko up front with a player like Koulibaly defending him. Um, you know, Koulibaly, one of the best center backs in Serie A for a while. You know, he had the down year last year, like you mentioned, but he's tough to tough to beat. And Dzeko, one of those bigger physical strikers, it could be an interesting matchup as, you know, he's big in Roma's buildup, holding up the ball, having players like Mkhitaryan and Pedro run off him. Um, so that'll be an interesting one too. Um, any other individual matchups you're looking at in this one? Yeah, just a quick comment on that Koulibaly-Dzeko matchup, but that's one that really concerns me. It's another tough one for Koulibaly after having to deal with Ibrahimovic and now to deal with Jacko. And, and one of the, they're two very different strikers, but one of the things that worries me the most about Jacko is how deep he gets for a, a big striker. Um, and what we've seen with Napoli is sometimes if Koulibaly gets pulled too deep into the midfield, I don't have a ton of confidence in Mario Rui and, and in our midfielders to, to cover for him. So I could see a situation where Jekyll comes deep to receive the ball, Koulibaly gets pulled with him, and then someone like Pedro or Mkhitaryan makes a run in behind and and Roma finds that through ball and, and creates chances that way. So I'm very concerned about that. The other matchup I'm, I'm very curious to see is uh, Spinazzola versus Di Lorenzo. Um, Spinazzola, I think, I'm curious to know what you think, but I, I think he's been excellent for Roma this year uh, on that left side. And... Di Lorenzo has been pretty good. I mean, he's still one of uh, Italy's right backs, 
um, but maybe it's not so much Di Lorenzo that I'm concerned about. It's again, who covers for him because our, our fullbacks play like wingbacks. They get up quite a bit and Politano's not the greatest defender. So we saw that against um, a couple of matches back where Di Lorenzo gets forward, he gets caught. He's not really covered that well. And I think that's where, you know, Spinazzola can do some damage on the wing. Yeah, I, I agree with you in the Spinazzola terms. He's been, especially since Roma switched to the back three and he's kind of been freed up to just maraud down that left-hand side. He's been one of the best uh, left backs in, in Italy this year. I think he's got a great shot to start for the national team come the Euros. It'll be down to him and Emerson, it looks like. But um, he was a little unfortunate because he missed out on the international break recently with the uh, little minor tweak that he left the Genoa match with. But he's been great. He's been very impressive. I'm a big fan of his. Um, I think that move is starting to pay dividends for Roma, even though it was a little hurtful to give up Luca Pellegrini when they did. But even on the other side, uh, they've gone to Rick Karsdorp now, who's another guy who likes to just push down that wing. Uh, Big right back, pacey. Um, So, you know, both players, if they can get, you know, deep into Napoli territory, like you said, it's going to be tough for players like Mario Rui and Di Lorenzo to contain them. And, and, you know, somebody has to help Di Lorenzo on Spinazzola. We've seen what I've noticed with him is when he's quick with his decision-making, he becomes even more dangerous because sometimes what he'll do is he'll dribble down that left wing and dribble himself a little bit into a corner. And then it's too late to make a decision. But when he makes a quick decision, um, we saw the pass he made to Myral on, on uh, Sunday morning to set up that goal. And it was just a great no look pass. And he's got the ability to be a top left back in this league and he's proving it so far. Um, so that could definitely be a dangerous matchup for Napoli, like you said. Yeah, Mario that's Rui. Where I, um, that's where I worry about Manolas that you mentioned him earlier. If he's the guy that he would be the guy that would have to cover for Di Lorenzo as the, the sort of center right. And he's he's not that mobile. He he can get caught flat-footed. So if if Di Lorenzo gets caught out and Spinazzola is 1v1 with Manolas, I'm very worried about that. Just like we saw him twice in the Milan game. Um Rebic first and uh Jens Petter Haug on, on the third goal, both of them, all it took was a step over and, and Manolas was slow. It slowed him down enough to, to not be able to stop them. So that's, that's a big concern here. Yeah. Manolas, one thing I've always noticed with him, he's got great, like straight line speed, like tracking back, but when he has to defend in space, like you said, he can be a little slow, flat footed. Um, and Spinazzola is a player who, if he gets them one-on-one could take advantage of that. Yep. Um, so it should be a very interesting matchup on Sunday. Big matchup in, in terms of table implications. If Roma win, you know, they could push for that top spot depending on other results. Napoli can push back into the top four with a win. Um, so any predictions for Sunday score and scorers possibly? Yeah, it's it's so tough. I mean, I, I'm so undecided. I think this one could – all three possible results can happen to me. I could see Napoli winning. I could see Napoli losing. I could see a draw. Um I, I just I want to predict a Napoli win just because it's so important for us after losing that match to Milan to lose two consecutive big matches at the San Paolo would be pretty devastating. We saw just that one loss. We were in third place and and we dropped down uh, or maybe we were in, in fourth. I can't remember if Roma was ahead of us or not, but you know, Juventus won, Inter won, everybody hopped over us just with one result with one loss. Mind you, I mean, we did drop those points to Sassuolo as well. But to lose another match, I think then that gap starts to grow a little bit. And then again, you know, the media went nuts after losing to Milan, how this team's falling apart. So I can only imagine if we lose a derby, what what the Milan, what the media is going to do to us. So 
Uh, I'm going to predict a Napoli win just because I can't bear the thought of a Napoli loss. Um, if I had to go with a score, I'd say maybe a 2-1. Politano's hot, so I'll give him a goal and uh, maybe I'll give one to Mertens and then we'll give Jekyll the goal for Roma. Yeah, uh, I could, like you said, I could see you going any of the three directions, win, win, lose, draw. I think uh, for Roma, it depends a lot on that, that center back situation, who plays, who, who doesn't play. If they all play, I'd, I'd be confident in Roma pulling out a result. They've been great back there, especially with Osimhen out. So I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to say all three of them play, and I'll go with the Roma uh, 2-1 victory. I'll go, I'll go Mkhitaryan and Dzeko. Um, they're, they're our key men, I think, in attack. And then uh, I'll, I'll give one to Politano since he's the, the Roma youth product. Like you said, he's been playing well. Um, and then just before I let you go, Joe, um, you know, we'll let you uh, talk about some of your work. But uh, one of the pieces you wrote recently was about Gianluca Scamacca. I also wrote a piece about him recently. And, you know, he continued his fine form yesterday in the Copa Italia scoring against uh, Sampdoria twice so what do, what do you like about Skamaka? oh I think I think he's an excellent player I'm trying not to get too far ahead of myself despite writing that piece because it, I have to every once in a while remind myself that he's only played eight Serie A matches a couple couple of Coppa Italia matches with the Serie A club but all indications are he's the real deal he's he's got all the qualities of a true number nine which is a position that's in in low supply at the moment he's he's tall he's quick he can finish um, and what I mentioned in the article is he has just that right amount of arrogance that you want from a striker. They, they need to be that way. They need to be a bit selfish, um, but you can only be that confident if you actually deliver. And he has been so far, you know, in the Coppa Italia, he's got four goals and two appearances. He did the same thing last year. Um, and I mean, now Genoa is going to play against Juventus. So that's, we'll see if he can score against them. Hopefully he does, but I, I've been really impressed. He he's also, he, I've compared him to a few different players. He reminds me a bit of a, a younger Ibrahimovic in a way because of the, the size and the speed and the, the ability to finish. But he also reminds me of Jekyll in a, in a way, which is funny because they're both two older guys now, but um, Jekyll because of what we mentioned earlier that he can get deep and he has a good touch and can play a pass. Um, you mentioned that uh, well, the, the Roma win over, um, over Genoa, I think it was a couple matches ago, but even though, Genoa only scored the one goal. He played a, a beautiful through ball on, on that goal. So I've been really impressed. I'm curious to see what his future holds um, because he's owned by Sassuolo. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason they've loaned him out is because they have Chicho Caputo. So they don't really need him right now. But Caputo is an older player. He's not going to be around forever. Um, and so I think Sassuolo will have a decision to make whether they want to cash in on him um, or keep him to be the next striker there. I think it'd be really interesting to see him coached by the Zerbi in that system. I think he can score a lot of goals, um, but who knows if, if the right price, uh, if the right offer comes along, then maybe Sassuolo sells him. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 that was the thing that drew me to him was after I watched him play against uh, Genoa. Cause I knew about him. Obviously he came early on through the Roma youth system. Um, and then, you know, he went to Alkmaar, or no, PSV, I believe it was PSV. He went over to Holland, didn't really do much, came back and quietly started to build his reputation back up. And with the under 21, he's been great. Finally got to watch him against Genoa. And that's, he reminds me of that young Jekko Ibrahimovic type striker because like Jekko, he comes into the midfield, receives passes, makes those passes to hit players running off him. He looks like a complete striker. And my hope, even if he doesn't make his way back to Rome, which is where I'd love him to be eventually, is that he can really do it for the national team because we've seen with the national team as great as Belotti and Immobile have been in the league. They really lack that number nine who can really take games over. 
And, you know, I don't expect him to do it come Euro 2021. He'll still be with the under 21 because they've qualified for, I believe it was the under 21 Euros this coming summer. But, you know, in that World Cup 2022 cycle, you know, he could possibly be in the mix come qualification and maybe he can make a name for himself. And I agree with you. If he plays for Deserby next year, it could be a could be a lot of goals for him in that system because they play some very nice football. Rome will be seeing them next week. So certainly interesting stuff. Uh, Joe, before I let you go, uh, where can we find your work? Uh, the Napoli podcast, your World Football Index writing. Tell everybody where they can find your work. Yeah, so the best place is on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Forza Napoli Pod. And then uh, most of my writing, I, unfortunately, I haven't been able to do as much as I would like lately with the, the schedule being as busy as it is, but uh, World Football, um, sorry, worldfootballindex.com. All right, Joe, thanks again for coming on. Great, great job breaking down Napoli for us. Looking forward to uh, an exciting Derby del Sole on Sunday, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.